Genesis 18. That's where we're at. First book of the Bible. You can find that one quick and easy. All right, I want you to think for a moment about uh, what kind of party you might plan for God uh, if you knew God was coming for a visit. Um, how about it? What kind of things would you have at a party that you were planning for God? Cake, all right. What else? S'mores, what else? Sparkling cider. Yeah, fancy glasses, right? You might have all kinds of stuff. Um, we're going to read a story this morning uh, that's in our Bibles about this exact thing happening to Abraham, but there's one small twist to it. He doesn't know it's God until after the party. So now imagine you planning a party, but it's for God, and you don't know it's for God until the end of it. That's what goes on in Genesis 18. Last week, we talked about this idea that Abraham uh, was approached. This is Genesis chapter 12. You don't need to turn there. You can take my word for it. But God comes to Abram and says, I am going to bless you, O barren Abram. Barren is a word meaning you can't have children. He says, look at the stars. You're going to have that many kids. Look at the sands of the seashore. That's how many children you're going to have. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you lots of kids. I'm going to make a nation out of you. In fact, I'm going to make you famous, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's Genesis 12. We looked at that last week. I'm going to make you a blessing uh, into other people as I bless you. Here's what's really powerful to think. All that Abraham had at that moment was a promise from God. That's it. And yet he believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. Now here's the next powerful thought. All of us who follow in Abraham's footsteps of just by faith believing the promises of God are blessed in a similar way that Abraham was and are able to be a blessing. That means this, son and daughter of Abraham, you are able to both be blessed and be a blessing. So as we read about Abraham, remember, it's not just an old dusty story for way back then. By faith, it's, it's our story as well that we are looking at. Now, he started being a blessing with a very, very simple act of welcome. We sometimes use the, the word hospitality. It means to be a friend. It means to be welcoming to someone. So Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, follow along with me. It says this, And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham quickly uh, went quickly into his tent to Sarah, that's his wife, and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. There you go, Rob, that was biblical. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, as you read on, what you begin to discover is, it, as it plays out, is that 
Verse 1 of chapter 18 that we just read is really the conclusion of the story. The narrator kind of gives that to us up front. The Lord is visiting Abraham in the form of three strangers. God appears to him and invites him to be blessed and to be a blessing. And so far in in the story of Abraham, from chapters 12 to 18, here's what we see Abraham focused on. We see him focused on the first part, that of him getting blessed. Now, I think that's human nature for all of us, to concern ourselves with our blessing and make sure God's coming through on that part of it. That's what Abraham appears to do. This is the first sense that we have in the story at all, where he turns to, to kind of begin to focus on the second part. We see him concerned with his blessing. Now we see him, Abraham, concerning himself with the second part. That is to be a blessing to other people. How does Abraham start being a blessing to the nations? Here's how he starts. He starts in his own neighborhood. He's at his tent and he sees three strangers and he begins with a simple act of hospitality. Abraham doesn't know that it's God yet. He just sees three men, and we know this because he uses this term, my Lord. Now, we see Lord, and we think immediately God. It's not that kind of Lord. The word is Adon, and what it means, it's kind of like a, our English version of sir. It's, a, it's certainly a title of respect. It can be used for God, but that's not the implication here. He's saying sirs, lords, in a lower lowercase kind of a way. And yet the narrator, the author of the story, as he writes about the three men, every time uses the term Yahweh. For the, for the three men, collectively. That's the holy and distinct name of God Almighty. That's who's visiting him, and yet he sees them as sir. What's amazing is that he sees them because he's ready to be a blessing. He's been told, you're going to be a blessing. And here he is at the entrance of his tent, and he's, he's ready to be a blessing to them. He sees need and offers hospitality. Let me is how he begins. Now, let me just tell you some of the let me kind of service and blessing that go on at our church, okay? As I look around faces on a sunny morning, I'm really encouraged because I both see new people on a regular basis that I don't know, which is a great sign for any church, and I see faces who are eyeball deep in ministry, dreaming up things and involved in things that are just awesome and on a, and on a wide spectrum. Here's a couple of the, the let me for you kinds of services that go on at our church, okay? Here's just a couple. Homeless outreach, neighborly acts that never kind of get reported but are are just done. Love, Inc., which is a way of doing neighborly acts but a little bit more prescribed and a little bit more tracked um, through through Rich's ministry. Um, Going down to Mexico, serving uh, kids through World Vision. Uh, Help One Child is an organization that's, that's let me. Our neighborhood workabouts that we often organize and just... As a, as a group of people, go to our neighbors and we say, let me do something for you. Um, let me is a huge way to be a blessing to people. Let me is a great place to start. That is going to people and extending love to them by saying, let me do this for you. But let me challenge you, church, with this thought. It's not the end all. It's not the only way to be a blessing to people. Think about Jesus for a moment and the way that he taught kind of a different way of service and a different way of blessing. He actually won the hearts of people, uh, not just by let me. He certainly did let me kinds of ministry, but he did a different kind of ministry. He introduced this idea, will you. He introduced a will you kind of blessing. Here's what will you looks like. 
Um, will you, uh, you can just jot this down, we won't turn there, but in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 8, he is sending out some disciples to go off into the countryside and do exactly what Don Porter was just talking about, to share the good news of the kingdom. So they're, they're heading out to spread the gospel. And what he says is this. He is telling them to go out into these places and receive from people. Let me means that I'm giving to you. Will you means that you receive from other people. He says, stay where, where you're allowed to stay. Eat what they put in front of you. Drink what they put before you. If there's not a man of peace in that town, if no one's going to receive you, if no one will help you out, then he says, shake the dust off, move on, go to a different place. This second kind of blessing puts us in need. We're the ones who are poor and in need of help. So as we think about, as we move forward now with the idea of what does it look like to be a blessing to my neighbors? I think sometimes we can get trapped or locked into just a let me kind. Here's the danger with let me kind of blessing, if that's all it ever is, okay? Here it is. It puts us in charge, and it can make the other person the debtor to us. We're the rich ones. We're the ones who are constantly giving out. We are the ones in danger of thinking and mistaking ourselves to be the hero of that story. When you flip it around and you put a will-you kind of mindset on, and you look for ways to, to, to say will-you to people and allow them, and you receive, and you actually become a blessing by doing that, you actually are not the one above, but you're the one below. No one looks at you and envies you as the person in need with that. Uh, Jesus is at the well, and essentially by today's standards, he was asking a trailer trash Samaritan woman, That's how it would be phrased if it were put today. He goes to her and he asks her this. He says, will you give me a drink? She's surprised by that. He's just kind of reversed the whole scenario and says, you're asking me for a drink? And in the process of putting himself in need to the Samaritan woman, what does he end up doing? He ends up blessing her immeasurably, right? There's water that you can drink that's living. Um. It can be awfully arrogant sometimes for us to kind of rush in with our services to people with constantly a let me, let me, let me kind of mindset and, and mentality. Bringing the presence of God to places by placing ourselves not only in the midst of people in need, but even at the mercy of people in need and becoming needy with them kind of transforms things. What, is, what would it look like if we received wisdom from them, kindness from them, services from them? Let me give you a couple of really hard and practical, uh, tangible ideas for this, just to kind of get you started. And then you can, you can let the Holy Spirit lead you in this and, and look for ways to, 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 to do this. Uh, international student ministry was a big part of my ministry when I was a college pastor at a different church. And what I realized was is there was a lot of students who would come up um, and because other countries still respect their elders, they would see me as an old guy um, and say, hey, we want to learn from you. Can I meet with you? I want to learn about what a Christian is all about. And I would, of course, say, absolutely not. I have no time for you. No, I'm kidding. I would never say that. That would be dumb. Uh, I would say every time, uh, in fact, I would say, yes, absolutely, I'll meet with you. I would love to meet with you. I'd love to share with you what a Christian believes. You're in a Christian nation. Let's talk about that. But here's one of my conditions I have for you. I would like to learn from you. I've never been to Brazil. I've never been to Japan. 
Would you teach me about your customs? Would you show me about your ways? Would you be open and honest and teach me about your religious beliefs and what, and what you believe about God? I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of a time where, where people weren't receptive to that. I don't have a statistic, but it would be astronomically high that they would say, yes, absolutely, I will do that. Isn't friendship built on a give-and-take relationship? What would it be if every time I'm always the giver, always the giver, is there a real friendship there or am I just a, a, a benefactor kind of personality? That's international student ministry. That's what I mean by placing yourself in need from them. They have something that you need, and that might be a little bit humbling, but that opens the door for real relationship. Here's another one. Many of you have gone um, out and ministered to, um, to different disadvantaged people groups and all of that. Let's take the homeless of San Francisco, because that's something that we organize and do on a regular basis. When we go up there, not to every single person, because to every single person I think might make a mockery of what prayer is and who God is, but there is a sense when I'm meeting with people and talking with people, and I am praying for them, and I'm asking them, let me pray for you. There are times where it has been totally appropriate to say, will you pray for me? And it places me in a place to, to show him that I'm in need of prayer as much as he's in need of prayer. His needs are just open and kind of barfed out all over the place, and we see where his needs are. I have deep, desperate needs as well. Will you pray for me? And I've had homeless people lay hands on me and pray to God for me. That's just, that's just the will you scenario played out. Here's one more. Asking young people, both physically young and spiritually young, for help. Here's the help that you can ask from them. They possess a spirit and enthusiasm that may have left you as a Christian. When you get around a new baby Christian, isn't it exciting just to see their exuberance? Isn't it exciting to see their faith? Isn't it fun to watch them grow and just hunger for the word and go, you won't believe what I read this week? To not come along as the wise old sage and say, there, there, calm down, you'll grow old and stale with time. But instead, put yourself under and say, man, you have some things I desperately need. Do you know the Bible values remaining true to your first love and having that passion. Man, I need to be around you. Jesus said, if you don't become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That means that children in this room, you're not just the recipients, but they can be the givers. You guys can be the the teachers. I love hanging out with children. That's why we have a lot of them. We love being around them. We love to learn from them. I love to see life through their eyes. That takes a certain kind of humility and openness, but that's different than the always let me. Again, don't mishear me. We're going to continue to press in on let me do something for you kind of blessing. But there's a whole different, I think, deeper kind of blessing when you're willing to receive, when you're willing to put yourself in that. I challenge you this morning, practice both let me and will you type blessing. Back to our story. Here's Abraham blessing three strangers who are simply in need of hospitality in the heat of the day. He's at his tent. He's ready. He sees it because he's waiting to be a blessing. And he finds out that he's blessing God himself. Now, as I read that and as you read that, you might think to yourself, well, I don't think I'll ever be throwing a party for God. I mean, that's a pretty rare occurrence, isn't it? Don't turn there, but write this down. Matthew 25. Write down verse 40. Jesus teaches this incredibly radical truth when he says this. Whatever you do to the least of these, 
You're doing it to me. When you go out of your way to go pray for a homeless man and then find your, the homeless man praying for you, you're doing that for Jesus. When you're visiting people who are sick, when you're visiting orphans and widows, when you're in the prisons and you're reaching out to people and paying a visit, when you're noticing the least of these, you know what you're doing that to? You're doing that to Jesus. He gives a stern warning at the end of that passage. He says, to the extent that you don't do it to the least of these, you're not doing it to me. So lest we think that it's so far-fetched that Abraham threw a party for God and didn't even realize he was entertaining God, the scriptures teach that we could have a daily experience of entertaining God in the form of the least of these. Isn't that powerful to think about? Isn't it powerful to think about the faces that we look at and we may drive right by and not notice and there is Jesus waiting to be clothed, waiting to be invited in, waiting to be reached out to. All right, so what does this look like for us? There's something powerful about uh, us being blessed individually. Every person, man, woman, and child, comes to Christ by themselves. You don't get in by your parents. You don't get in by your church. You don't get in as a nation. It's an individual uh, uh, reception, as it were. But there's something powerful about not only being blessed individually, but being blessed together. And not only being a blessing to other people individually, but collectively getting together and being a blessing. We have a picture here at NBC, and we call it the play button, uh, conveniently enough. And some of you have seen this before. I hope that you have. It's just a visual representation to kind of take and say, what's the Christian life about? How can we kind of get our heads around some of the different complex things? One of the things about a play button is this. Uh, Probably almost every single day on your iPhone, on your Droid, on your, in your computer, whatever you're doing, you're hitting a triangle just like this, either with a finger or a, a click of the mouse. And there's a certain amount of faith that you just click that and something goes, something starts to happen. You don't know the inner workings of it, you're just hitting play, and magically music's in your ears and you're just content about it. You may not even think about it. That's, that's somewhat symbolic of the fact that, that there's mystery here. That it takes a life of faith. It takes faith to push the button in the first place. You'll see the words in red are make disciples. In your Bible, you might have the words written of Christ in red. That's to remind us that at the top of everything that we do, we are about making disciples. So that lingers there right at the top. Um, here's some here's some words that we put. Each point of the triangle means something. Worship is this invitation to be blessed by God. Remember last week for, from Abraham? If you are extended the invitation to be blessed, you have only one part in that decision. You can receive it or you can reject it. That's it. Receive or reject. That's the only part Abraham played in his blessing. He didn't work for it. He didn't try for it. He didn't get on God's good side for it. He didn't pay God back for it. He just received it. So it is with us. Worship is just a beginning relationship with God. But we aren't blessed and then left alone. Community is this idea. We looked at Ephesians 1. All the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. Remember one of them was that we were adopted into a family. Today we're going to have a welcome lunch after service. As we share a meal together as a church, it should just be a visual reminder. That's right. I have a seat at God's table with other people. It's not just me and God. It's me, God, and a family. Thirdly, the two of those can be very alluring to just 
kind of cycle back through. Me and God and me and other Christians who believe and think like me. But the Bible constantly is pushing us toward the word share. These are, this is trying to capture the huge truth that we see beginning here with Abraham that says you're going to be a blessing to the neighborhoods. I've given you a purpose in blessing you. It's to bless other people. And so we've kind of latched on to this word share. It's basically our term for be a blessing. This third component of a growing Christian is what we're committed to as a church. It means service and sacrifice and good works and for sure evangelism, sharing the faith. So that's our word for that. If you want to take a start in this, if, if you want to start being a blessing to other people, here's how simple it is. It's as simple as taking a single step. It's as simple as saying, yes, God, today I realize I'm blessed by you, not just to hoard and store up, but to be a blessing to other people. I don't know if you've ever taken stock of all that you have, but really begin to measure and ponder what you have. And then the second question that comes with it sometimes, why? Why do I have so much? Now, unless you travel, I would, I would venture to guess that you struggle more sometimes with wondering why you don't have enough or why you don't have so much. But as soon as you start to travel, as soon as you start to be with other people and invest time and spend time with other people, you begin to wrestle with that. Many people who visit extreme poverty eventually bump into this question and find it really, really disturbing. Why do I have so much? Why do I have so much freedom? Why do I have so much food to eat? Why do I have umpteen pairs of clothes and shoes that I could just swap out, give away, change? It wouldn't affect me one bit. And here's this person with, with not much. That why question can be kind of troubling. Here's what I've heard. I've heard this from other people as I've traveled and been with them. Um, people throw up their hands and say, they're, they're kind of troubled by that question. And so instead of pursuing it even further, they say, you know what? Who can know? I mean, who can really know? We were born in this country. They were born here. Just who can know? And the answer is this. We can know. We can know why we're blessed with so much stuff. We have been given purpose in our blessing. We've been told by God why we have so much stuff. So if you've ever been in another country, you've ever been confronted with that question, and you're wondering, here it is, okay? It starts with something really simple. It starts with our identity. I believe that sharing is viewed as optional or extra if you don't understand who you are. If you don't understand your identity, you will view sharing as extra and optional. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.1. It says, let a man regard us, Christians, in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let me take the word stewards for a moment. If you understand yourself fundamentally as a steward, it will change the way you think about your stuff. All of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm not a manufacturer, but I'm a distributor. Think about Jesus feeding the 5,000. He didn't say to his disciples, go whip up tons and tons of fish. What did he say? He said, give this away, right? Who was responsible for all the miraculous fish? Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. You can say all of them, they'd all be, be, be true. God provided that, right? What was the disciples' role? It was to give it away. They were stewards of it. We've talked about this before, but you can imagine if, if Jesus comes to them and says, here's a basket full of fish. They're like, wow, Jesus, thank you. 
I forgot to even pray before this meal, and here you are, give me a whole basket full. And they just sit down and start chomping on the fish. Woo! We're full. We still got like a basket left over. Jesus brings two more baskets. Woo! Thanks, Jesus. I don't know if this is going to keep. Uh, if you can actually provide some ice so we could, you know, have a barbecue later on, that would be great. Sometimes, that's what our prayers feel like. God, you've been so good to us. Whoa! More baskets of fish. More bread. He just keeps producing. We're stewards. If we see ourselves as, as stewards, we'll pass out the food. We'll give it away. Here's the great news you have this morning. Some of you are, some of you are not going with me on this journey a tiny bit because you're afraid I'm going to like play the guilt card. You're like, I know he's going to ask at the end to sponsor a child. He's going to bring up a number on the screen. Something's going to happen and I don't know if I want to go there. Let me do this. Let me just, let me just ease you from that. Okay. This is not a guilt message. This is not a shame message. Here's, here's some great news in all of this. God will never ask you to share what you don't have. He won't ask you to share what you don't have. And what I want to do this morning is I want to veer so far away from kind of being accused of playing kind of the, the guilt card. That's a terrible motivator anyways um, that, that, I, that I'm going to stay a, a, away from that. Um, I was a bank teller for a lot of years, and this is one of the best ways I know to think about in terms of what it means to be a steward. Every day, I was given thousands of dollars. You want to talk about a cool job. Thousands of dollars are given to me every single day. All I had to do was wear a tie and show up. That's it. And people gave me money for hours at a time, handed me wads of cash, $100 bills by the stack full. I mean, I just got it all. And then I would give them money. At the end of the day, none of it was mine, right? It all stayed at the bank. That's how it works, unless you enjoy prison food, right? That's how it works. It all stays there. Now, did I feel disappointed as I gave out the money? Of course not. It wasn't my money to begin with. I'm just a steward that day. My job as a steward is to be found faithful and found trustworthy. So it is with God. So it is with the things of us in our life. Now, to kind of illustrate this, a few years ago, we had just one of the most fun Sundays. Um, people walked in. Now, don't check your seat because it's not there today. But everyone had underneath their seat, taped to it, um, some amount of money sitting under their seat. And it was just to illustrate that um, God won't ask you to share what you don't have. And the point of the whole thing was this. Some people had a $50 bill in their envelope. Some people had, I think, as small as a $1 bill and every range in between. And the point was this. Every one of you walked in not expecting to have some extra amount of cash. Now you have it. Now what are you going to do with it? It's been given to you for one reason, to go be a blessing to other people. It's been given to you for... And we, made, we had some rules. You couldn't... Um, you know, you, 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 you had to kind of... There were, there were a few rules. You can actually read about it on our website. Is that still up, Ben? Okay. I, for... <laughs> For a while it was up, we actually had people write what they did with it. Um, and it was so, it was just so fun and so encouraging to, to kind of, to kind of have this little social experiment go on. But it was illustrating the fact that we're a steward. What do we have that God hasn't given to us? Uh, the, the second word in this is that we're a servant. In John 13, Jesus is the one, Jesus is found getting down and washing the feet of his disciples. Remember that scene? Here's Jesus getting really low and showing us a brand new picture of what, of what of what greatness looks like. It means that no chore is too mundane and too dirty and too simple that you can't fulfill it. 
So if you are a Christian, you are by definition a servant. If you walk around with this in your head, I am a steward today as a Christian, I am a servant today as a Christian. It will revolutionize how you think about being a blessing. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Walk in them indicates the normal, everyday, regular foot traffic that you do. Not the heroic, giant things that people would blog about and write newscasts about. Not that stuff. Just the regular, everyday stuff. Good works that God has designed for you. Now, I've already promised you I'm not going to go the guilt route. Here would be the guilt route. To talk about your stuff, to talk about your money, and to talk about your individual talents and how you should be giving more of that away to other people. Is that true? Maybe. But we're not going to kind of touch into that, okay? We're going to, we're going to stay away from that. But just to kind of say a couple of quick words, here's John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller was a very wealthy man, probably one of the wealthiest guys of, of his day and age. He was in oil and those kinds of things. He was asked one time, what is enough? This was at the height of his, of his massive uh, you know, wealth and, and all of that. He was asked, what is enough? And what was the answer? Just a little bit more. Now, here's what I know today. No one in this room can identify with Rockefeller's wallet. We just can't. We're not there. That's not who we are. But I think every one of us in this room, in some area of our life, identifies with his heart. What's enough? Just a little bit more. And just, just a tiny bit more. It may not be wealth. You, you, you might have the, the money part checked off. No, nope, that's not me. But it might be some other area. A little more love. A little more acceptance. A little more prestige. Just one more pair of shoes. Whatever it might be for you. Just, just a little bit more. I want you to take your pencil and draw a line on your page, okay? I've demonstrated it for you because sometimes I can be unclear. Draw a line on your page. It might look something like this, okay? Doesn't that be quite that straight? I want this line. If you take no other notes, you can just draw one line and say that you took notes today. I want this line to be representative of enough. I don't know if you've ever gone through the exercise of this. This is very, very challenging to define enough. What if today you, and if you're married and if you have a family, you sat down and started to discuss what would enough look like in whatever? How much food do we need stored up for how many days? How many meals should we be able to provide for ourselves um, before we say, you know what, that's enough. We're good. When we get below that, we'll kind of retop it off, but, but, but this is enough. What would enough look like in the retirement account? What would enough look like in, um, in, in how much vacation you spend? What would enough look like with our media consumption? What would enough look like in the number of hours that we work on the job? Just start to define enough in some different areas. You know what defining enough begins to do? For some of you, it might take you off the conveyor belt that the consumer mindset has you in. The consumer mindset plays into our fact that we don't have enough. Yes, you have a phone but it's not the latest one. Yes, you drive a car, but it's kind of old and clunky, and it doesn't have this, that, or the other thing. So there's a constant message of saying, of saying what enough is. Let me just say this. Um, excess, by definition, would be anything above that line. Now, excess isn't bad. Excess is not bad. Hear me really clearly, okay? Excess is not 
bad. But what if we got serious about defining what is enough? You know, uh, how fast do I really need to go? I saw a car yesterday. My son and I were driving, and I tapped or two days ago, I tapped him on the leg, and I point over, here's a Ford GT cruising along, red with a white stripe. That thing was sweet. How fast do you really need to go? I was in a giant white refrigerator driving down the road. It's called a Ford E-150 van. I'm like, man, that Ford was a cruel man. That's a Ford. This is a Ford. Lord, help me. Uh, how fast do you really need to go? You know, I mean, I look at that and go, man, that would be fun to own something like that. But but how fast is is fast enough? I, I saw a motorcycle with with tires the other day, yesterday, that were about this wide. How wide do you really need a tire? I mean, on and on it goes. Anything more is excess. Now, here's what I'm quite certain of. In our context, if you are sitting here listening to me this morning, our context means this. That for us, it's not a question of whether we have excess. It's just a matter of what are we going to do with our excess. That's it. Remember, excess isn't bad. It's not bad at all. But what are we going to do with our excess? Um, There is a free book right now. There's a free audio book. Um, called More or Less, and you can listen to it for free or you can go pay $14 and buy it. I enjoy free. So uh, I'm about three-quarters way through it, and, man, it, it is diving into this kind of, of, of talk. And, and it's just, it's just uh, helping, helping me reshape and rethink some things and challenging me in some areas. Um, all right, that's enough on the our stuff, our skills, our money thing. By the way, one of the easy things with that is to compare. That. We, we, can, we can make ourselves look really bad in those areas or we can make ourselves feel really good about that. None of that's very helpful. Let me instead talk about some common gifts that we all have and talk about kind of blessings by the numbers. And the first one is 24. The first number is 24. 24 represents time. Okay, Time is something that every single one of you is given uh, every single day. You're all given time. Okay, And do you notice that some people are really time poor? All the time, they're saying, you know, how are you doing? I'm really busy. I'm really stressed out. I don't have enough time. It's an odd statement kind of, isn't it? Some people are really time rich, meaning that they seem to always have this surplus of time. What's the reality? Everyone has the same amount of time. Rockefeller has the same amount of time as you do. The poorest person on the streets of Calcutta today has the same 24 hours that you do. So what are we doing with our time? When I think about Jesus, I think he certainly wasn't time poor. I think he was time rich. I think he used his time wisely, and he did only what the Father told him to do. I'll tell you one of my big struggles. I want to take on more than I'm capable of doing. You know what I do with that? I let you people down. I let my friends down. When I start to say, no, I I can do it. Yes, I can do that. Here's the secret. You take time. You make time. How do you do that? You learn a little two-letter answer called no, right? Some people think, man, that's what a negative word. That's the worst word in the dictionary. It's not. That could be a really powerful word because by saying no to to, to, to a lot of things, you get to say yes immediately to the right things. 
And as we'll see, being a blessing to other people, being a blessing. What was, what was Abraham doing? I love that there's not a word wasted in the scriptures. Don't you love that he was neither inside of his tent nor out running around? He was just at the doorway of his tent, and he was looking, and he was able to receive and be hospitable in that moment. You can take and make time and make it a blessing to other people. All right, for our next number, here it is. Ready? Take your hands and put them in front of your face, just like this. How many fingers do you see? Okay, almost everyone in the room counts 10, right? If it's different, let me know. Take your feet. We don't need to see them. Just wiggle your toes. All of them. Get them all wiggling. Okay, how many are down there? You guys are good. Some of you didn't even look. You're cheating. Your feet are out. What's 10 plus 10? All right, 20 is our next number. God has given almost every person in this room no more and no less than 10 fingers and 10 toes. Equal, right? You're born with it. What would you do to get your 10 fingers and toes? Nothing. You just were born. God gave it to you. It's a gift that you possess right now. Here's the question. What are you doing with your hands and your feet? What are you using your hands for? What are you using your feet for? Where are you pointing your toes? Write this down, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Now listen carefully, I'm going to read it for you. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. If you are heavenly minded, I know that your hands and your feet will follow. If you point your mindset, if you look on the realities of heaven and don't get distracted and bogged down by the temporal stuff of earth, I know that your hands and feet will follow and will be placed in God's control for that. Here's a couple of ideas. One is touch. We see Jesus who walked in and touched a demonic guy and he freed him. Jesus wasn't afraid or ashamed or worried about touching people. He touched them often. Just read a book by Kay Warren, uh, wife of Pastor Rick Warren down south. Um, and she, she discusses her, God called her to be very active in HIV positive um, uh, cases around the world and be an activist for, for that. And a big part of her story is just going in to place after place after place. And she visits a leper colony. And the, the people in this leper colony overseas are dumbfounded that a white American woman would come in not just to visit her, but to touch them. And he, she, here she was shaking hands, hugging, praying for, touching them. And the people reported back what a massive ministry. Nothing she said, nothing else she did mattered except what? That she touched them. The power of a touch. We live in a culture, uh, I forget the number now, but I read the number of how many times in a conversation Americans touch each other versus people in like Spain. The number is like four times as much in a lot of other countries. I watched two people, two men in a coffee shop, not in any kind of strange way, sit there and just, and just communicate. And their arms were all over and they were, t- and I was sitting here pondering. I thought, wow. We, I grew up in a culture that says, yeah, don't, don't do a lot of touch. So that's one way that we can, we can do it, is to, is to just have a loving touch be a blessing. Here's, about, here's with your toes. Time and time again, when Christians go to people who are the least of these, when Christians go out of their way to reach out, God blesses that. 
And time and time again, many of you who've gone with me in other places to, to different places, streets of San Francisco or, or Mexico or wherever it might be, so many times the message back is this. Just the fact that you showed up is gift enough. Everything else is kind of bonus. But just the fact that you're here makes all the difference in the world. Isn't it powerful that just by showing up, I mean, you could be a terrible planner, you could be a mute, you could have terrible, you know, social skills, but just being there, your physical presence is a giant gift. What would it look like to take every one of your fingers and every one of your toes and just submit it daily and say, God, make a blessing out of my toes and my fingers. Your toes and your fingers can be a blessing, your presence. All right, we're getting lower. Two, you have two ears. For some in the room, both work most of the time. Gift, what'd you do with them? Or what'd you do to get them? Nothing. They just showed up and they're there. Sometimes you don't even think about them. We just talked about the gift of presence, the gift of showing up with our toes. But here's what I want to say with the ears. What if when we're present, we're really completely engaged and present? We're really there. We're not there in, with toes, but our ears aren't there. We're there with our entire being. And we're esteeming that person and giving them the grace to say, man, you were created by God and you deserve my undivided attention. Don't raise your hand. But I'm sure that some of you in this room have felt the same thing that I've felt before. When you're talking with someone, you're engaged with someone, and you can tell they're engaged with you. They're really hearing you. And to really be heard by another human being is a total gift. And they're totally dialed in. And all of a sudden, you're talking with them, and someone walks into the room, and you see that this person has noticed that person, and it's a, it's a more person. By, by more, I mean they're, they're more important, they're more beautiful, they're more interesting, they're more powerful. And all of a sudden, you feel in this conversation, you feel that person check out. You ever been there? You know what happens to me? I go, and then I like waddle out of the room because I'm just a pair of shoes. Here's the reality. I've done that to people too. I've been totally engaged with them, and I go, oh, yeah, I need to email that guy. It would be so much easier to talk to him right now, and I disengage. Can I just publicly apologize to you? I've probably done it to you. I'm working on it. God's making me realize that you being present, you being totally engaged, is a massive blessing to that person. They may have been interrupted all week long and thought nothing of all week long. And here in this relationship, in this friendship, in this sanctuary, they finally feel like, wow, I'm actually seen in this place. And then we do that to one another. You know who the most important person and the most interesting person in the room in our valley is starting to become? Right here. Right here. It's kind of bizarre, but um, in the name of efficiency, I'm an early adopter with technology. I love to be efficient with my time. I love to do things, and a lot of that's really well motivated. But when you're engaged with someone and there's sideways glances, when there's an awkward pause or a lull in a conversation and everyone turns to kind of check out their phones, that what they're doing in that moment is they're disengaging, they're unplugging things. On Sunday mornings, aren't you diligent to just switch it to mute? I do. I make sure I do every Sunday. I don't want to be that person who's like scrambling, and you're just like, sorry. It's just awkward, right? So you just, I don't want to do that, right? 
Um, I, have a, I have a job that, um, that asks of me to be available to people at all kinds of different hours. But there are some times in my day where I just create little boundaries and I mute my phone and I put it in my pocket and I don't check it. When Ben and I meet, we have, there's, there's one person. We, we will say up front, I'm expecting this phone call and that will interrupt this meeting. Otherwise, nothing else will. The only person, Ben's got a ring for Laura. I've got a ring for my wife. The only people who interrupt our meetings is our wives. That's it. So if you call and I'm not getting back to you, it's probably because Ben's long-winded. He's still talking. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Ben's like, look who's talking. Um, so, so just an idea. Your attentive listening is a blessing. What would it look like if, if, if by sheer act of saying, I love you and I want to value this time, we took our phones and we just, we just put them in a, in a basket by the shoes at the front door? Maybe that's the new thing that will be a sign of respect and saying, I'm really here. There's nothing else that's more important than this right here, right now. That might kind of begin to change our relationships. All right, we're down to one. One tongue. What amount of blessing can God disperse with one tongue that is fully yielded to him? Write a verse down, Ephesians 4.29. Listen to the vast language of this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. How much? Zero. No corrupting talk. No evil words. Wow. That keeps you on your knees, humble before the Lord. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only, do you see how exclusive this is? But only such as is good for building up as fits the need of the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. Do you realize that with one tongue you can dispense blessing to people? Some of you know the art of affirmation. Affirmation is an art, and you ought to learn it if you don't know it. Mark Twain said this, I can live for two months on one good compliment. I mean, one sincere compliment, someone just builds you up, man, that'll, that'll make you sore. That's unbelievable. What did it cost you? Nothing. It cost you paying attention. It cost you submitting your tongue to be a dispenser of grace in that moment. Be a blessing by what you say. I wrap up with this. No number for this, but just be ready. Abraham was ready and willing. He was quick to obey when the opportunity came. Now look at the screen for a minute. How many of you, if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that this duck was in trouble, you would jump and drop what you're doing and do whatever you could to rescue its life? How many would do that? Raise your hand. Okay? Now imagine that he had 14 siblings. A week and a half ago. We wrap up premarital counseling at our house. 9.05, we're walking the couple out of our door. And as I open my front door, there are two ladies in, the, in my street clapping for me. Like this. I just took a bow, closed the door. No, I'm just kidding. It was really quite strange. I see them clapping right in my front yard, and I couldn't make you know, heads or tails of why on earth they're clapping. They're clapping because in the bike lane of Cherry, uh, Cherry Avenue is a mama duck leading 15 baby ducks about this size right here. Walking in the bike lane right in front of my house. The ladies are in the street 
two women who were walking, and they're trying to kind of like scare them into the curb to keep them from being in the, in the street. It's dark by now, so a car comes. It's sure death for these babies. Um, I just gave them a thumbs up. I said, good luck with all that, and closed my door. No, I didn't do that. What I did was I said, go get, go get the kids. Here's what I knew. I knew that uh, of all my kids, all my kids would do it, but Ethan jumped up and disobeyed me by being outside with only his socks on, but I didn't care. And he dropped what he was doing, and I knew he would do this. And he jumped into action, and he knew right what to do. He began to take over and steer those ducks um, you know, back, back toward the, the, the creek. There's a creek that runs halfway between our house and church. Well, as he's doing that, um, mom gets kind of too far out into the street. Mom gets hit by a car and flutters away. A couple of minutes later, Ethan has his shirt like this and 15 ducks in it. We're now scrambling to find a box. We find the box. We put them in. The ducks are, let's just say, not happy at this point. They're running around crazy. We get them down. We drive them down in the refrigerator uh, to the creek. We let them, we let them there, and we hear, we hear ducks calling and whatnot, and we just, at that point, entrust it to the Lord and say, God, care for the baby ducks. Now, I bring up the duck story because of this. Ethan had an opportunity in that moment to be a blessing, and he was ready and quick to just drop what he was doing and do it. Opportunity just presented itself. That's how blessing comes sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes things are just happening, and because, because you're ready, willing, and able, you're able to just jump in with all that you are. Sometimes you go looking for it, but sometimes it has a way of finding you. Here's the problem. People aren't always as cute as ducks. They just aren't. And, and the other thing is people disguise their cries for help to saying, how are you? And they say what? Fine. So we can't see the need sometimes as clearly as we can with a duck. Had Ethan ever, been, had Ethan ever done this before? No. But he jumped in and did it because he just knew something had to be done. So it is with people. I want to leave you this morning with a Danish proverb that says this. It's blue. Uh, oh, it may not happen. Well, just, just listen to it. It says, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift to God. That's the idea of God blessing you with who you are, made up the way that you are. What you take and do with that is your gift back to God. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the way that you've wired each person in this room. I marvel to think at what it would look like if all of us were so growing and ingrained with what it looks like to have a tongue yielded to you, ears that are listening for the movement of the kingdom and, and, and walking in that, fingers and toes that we're mindful of what you're doing in this world. As Don shared, there are people ready, willing, and longing to receive the good gift, the good blessing that you extend. But they've yet to hear about it. There's yet to be feet with good news that have gone to them. God, would you stir in us today all the ways you've gifted us, not with all that we don't have, but all that we do possess, and help us to live what it means to be a blessing to the nations by the power of Jesus. Amen.